That sounded very harmonious. It was very, very harmonious. And you know what else is harmonious? This introduction to Game of Owns. Owns, yes. That was good. Like Perhaps that. we should barbershop it. Owns. 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 I was thinking snow from the old film. Snow. Snow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Owns. So, White Christmas, right? <laughs> hey, Sam. 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 Is here. Oh, my God. What? Did you just really start out this Monday episode with Sam? Is he here? Hi, guys. Oh, my. This is unprecedentedly and not planned that wasn't a word yeah this is game of owns uh i'm zach how, how are you guys i'm great that's that's sam and eric is too bashful to introduce himself to all of you listening <laughs> hey everybody i i'm i'm wondering sam how have you been i just said i'm good yeah so uh sam how <laughs> what have you been doing lately what uh what brings you to our studio why should we be so so blessed to receive you today well first of all you should always be blessed that I'm on the show <laughs> because right. I just I make the show. It's yes. true. No, no, I, I've I, missed I you. literally make the show. You know, many people don't know. That's that. Everybody how it thinks gets made. Zach edits, but it's really me. Yeah, it's we used to call the show <laughs> Game of Sam's. Actually, yeah, it got canned. That's bullshit. Uh, our pilot was was rejected, and then we had to name it Game of Owns, which I don't know how it's made it to almost 200 episodes. But oh, that's great! You guys done a great job. Well, I think that our our course down this this rocky and bitter path that sometimes can be the lore inside of a song of ice and fire, Sam. You're one of the few beacons of real shining light that I think our listeners that are listening now with their play buttons can rally around. So it's good to have oh, you. Let us so officially nice you, welcome Zach. you. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without you, Sam. Oh no, you're just Eric. You're just being too nice. <laughs> no, but really, the, here's the thing. You said, "Why am I here?" Well, I'm here because. A couple weeks ago, you asked the listeners what you could do for content for the show. And I think, at least, you know, for me, what better way to fill the show than for me to be here? That's actually what half of our emails were around. That's we're going to get thought. to what the other half we're talking about in a second. And some of you who pay attention to social media may already know that we're going to be doing something. But I guess we can dedicate some time now at the beginning of this Monday episode to hanging out with Sam, Sam Tarley, if... He's good enough of friends with me to let me still call him Sam. I know it's been a while since you've been here. Uh, how cold is it where where you've been now that you're inside of our, our warm and dimly lit office here? Well, actually, I've been in Puerto Rico. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> Vacation. Always a surprise. Yes. A break from, from filming or break from uh, being in a book about death and war? <laughs> Both. Oh, it's all real, Eric. Yeah, how could it be not real, Eric, if Sam is here with us in the studio, sitting only feet yeah, away from right. our stacks of paper? See, Eric, it has to be real, because otherwise you need to ask yourself the question, why have you wasted hundreds of hours of your life talking about it? <laughs> I, you know, I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> because here's the thing, otherwise, if you, I mean, I'm just being real here. No, I mean, no, I mean that's completely right. It's You're true. You're talking Matt. about something that's not real for hundreds of hours. I mean, <sighs> dude, you get a life. Something like that. But we are very thrilled for you to have joined us, and we uh, have a. Are big you kicking me out? Well, we have a big announcement <laughs> to make, Sam, and I'm not sure. Oh, that, I can't uh, wait. I I'm this is the beautiful part of the show where I get to undoubtedly interrupt an argument coinciding between Sam and Eric um, as Game of Owns has sometimes happened if you've been listening with us for a very long time. I said listening with us. The real description would be listening to us, and that's never really stopped being weird to the people that make this show, which is which is us sitting here right now. We uh, listened to a lot of the things that you guys said. There was a lot of emails, a lot of tweets, a lot of Facebook posts, and uh, I think that like I said, a lot of you already know this, so if you're listening to this episode for the first time and you're just one of the iTunes subscribers that doesn't really mess with all that other shit, which I completely understand, uh, it's time to talk about a story that's going to take us into a nice encapsulated time machine I and send us right stories. back into the past of this fake story that we all talk about. <laughs> that's right, ladies and gentlemen, listeners everywhere. Uh, we will be reading and talking about the tales of Dunk and Egg. The Tales of Beetle the Bard. Oh, wait. Wrong <laughs> wrong story there, Sam. This oh. is kind of like the Beetle the Bard of the 
Game of Thrones fandom, and only, only in that the text is supplemental. But in particular, the first book, which I know we'll be talking about this week, uh, The Hedge Knight. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yes, Sonic the Hedge Knight. It's just, it's a story that is... <laughs> Sonic the Hedge Knight. Sonic the Hedge Knight. It's a story that is really uh, quite... Um, what's the word? Really Look colorful. It. It's there quite colorful. And for being said a hundred years prior to the current, um, Game of Thrones. There you go. A Song of Ice and Fire. A hundred years before Ned gets his head chopped off. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is before all of the bad things happen. Well, bad things happen in this time, though. I think we got to hear about some of it in passing in the story. But for all intents and purposes, the bad things that we care about because we have gotten to know certain people um, happen much later than what we're reading. I think it's really a time of innocence. And it is, uh, it is after all, it is spring. This is essentially five generations of of people. And so... You will hear about houses and sigils, much like in Game of Thrones, and they're the same houses. It's Lannister, the Martells, the Tyrells, the Baratheons, and all of this Tarly. stuff. And, and Tarly, of course, yes, <laughs> mm. Lord Tarly. Yeah, thanks, Zark's got my back. It's the great, 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 or great, great, great grandfather of. Wait, yes, great, great, great grandfather of the characters that we that we actually know. The interesting part of this is, of course, because we can then discern, well, we see what we can discern from that. You know, who are these ancestors? Not to spoil too much, but, you know, uh, Robert Baratheon's uh, ancestor is called the Laughing Storm, huh? <laughs> which which I think is really the coolest thing ever and also greatly reflects on his eventual descendant, um, who is a very uh, vibrant, gleeful man. Uh, who also packs a punch. Um, so really, that that's that's kind of the surface enjoyment of this series. You get the world of George R. R. Martin as realized in the later books or the earlier books, depending on what time you read this and depending on what time they were written. Um, but it's a time of innocence and it really just focuses on one boy, a hedge knight, like the title suggests. It's It's not a Game of Thrones novel. Where or a Song of Ice and Fire novel where there's 15 different point of view characters. That's not what this is. This focuses on one guy, a kid, as it's sort of coming of age, if you will. It's like, uh, you know, young adult uh, novel for kind of yeah the readers. So I really enjoyed and have been enjoying uh, reading this story far more than I even thought I would because it is so um, different while still being equally fleshed out. Uh, in the detail. Yeah, we always wanted to tackle this story sometime on the show, but you know, in the past we've never really had the time to do that because we've had such a strict guideline and schedule of we want to fit this in, we got to get this book finished by now. Here comes the season, here comes commentary tracks, like the time really adds up, but you know, we've got this gap now and and we had that episode a few weeks ago where we were saying, you know, this is a good time for you guys to tell us more of what you've kind of always been letting through the cracks between owns and hellos in the past. But yeah. we, we were inundated really with uh, emails and, and comments and tweets. And it was just staggering to see how many of you guys said that, you know, we should jump into the tales of Dunkin' Egg because uh, it's really good. And chronologically, people. this this short story, uh, this this first part was released just between A Clash of Kings and A Storm of Swords. So in a way, it kind of makes complete sense, right? Right. That's exactly where we are now between uh, those books. And I, I have to question myself, what was the exact motivation that George had when it came to writing these stories? And I, I think, you know, and I well, don't really I can know. I tell the... you. Well, why don't you tell me, Sam? I just think he wanted to write about something that took him a little bit away from what was going on in, uh, you know, Westeros around the time that he was writing. You know, because think about all the backstory that's possible. There's so much to learn. There's a whole lot of, of content here that we can sort of digest outside of what he's already written. And I think it's cool to explore things like that. And I, I think that a, a, a large part of the motivation must have been that there was a, this anthology of short stories released back in the 90s and the second was released in 2003. So basically it's a compilation of all of these great modern fantasy writers that put their own short story that was kind of inside of the series that they already had going on their own. So mm-hmm. on this first edition of Legends, you see Stephen King, Robert Jordan, Terry Goodkind, Anne McCaffrey, and Raymond Feist on the front cover. And so 
I assume that these guys are the big hitters. Like these are the ones that we're really bragging about that are in this book. And I was kind of worried. I was like, is, is George R. R. Martin's story not in this book? Because <laughs> I couldn't see him on the front. But then I saw the, the cover of the second Legends, which was in 2003 after A Storm of Swords was out. And he is on the front, George R. R. Martin. There you go. Yeah, he is on the cover. So obviously, it's, like, uh... <laughs> it's cool, right? So you get to see the, the change there. I thought that was that was a pretty interesting thing. But uh, it's it's cool for him just to be considered uh, amazing among these people even before the show was out. Because I know a lot of you have always been like, you know, I've read these stories for years. There's some people that listen to our show that have been reading these books for like 20 years, and it's just like, yeah. you know, this this was something that we missed. You know, I was really young, and it was out of my age bracket i guess even though i i've read different places among the reading ladder you know even from a small kid reading like the hobbit like the second grade stuff like that but if you if you don't have a complete worldwide journal to find stuff like fan sites and twitter back in the late 90s like we didn't have i mean it's hard yeah. to stumble upon stuff like this so for yeah. a lot of people they just got to read it for the first time Absolutely. when they heard about it from the show sam when did you first read uh, can you read what kind of question is that eric you know from watching the show that I can read. Oh, right, right, right. You read for the blind man. You selectively He's a wizard. watch the show. <laughs> Come on, you man. He's a wizard. You selectively read. <laughs> he selectively, yeah. You selectively, selectively tweets. Selectively right, eats. But, no. but what I was going to say is, I mean, maybe this the title, Dunkin' Egg, you know, it scared you a bit. You know, you're a young guy. Maybe That's it true. seemed a little too intimidating. Yes, I'm terrified for dunking eggs, or as Micah referred to it earlier today, Dunkin' Donuts with eggs. <laughs> I, was, I had uh, some of that earlier. Yeah, that was really? delicious. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was great, but actually now it's acting up a bit. Dunkin' go. is huge in, in Puerto Rico. Oh, you've got to go. Yeah, okay. diarrhea. Oh, Sam, well, oh, thank well, you thanks, for joining Sam. us. It's nice for you to stop by with us and stay this if whole time. If you happen time. to find Micah, please send him in. Well, you know what I'll do? I'll text him for you. Oh, okay. Not I've like seen you two idiots don't have his number. number. Aren't you going to send him yeah. a raven, Sam? If you want to be a little bit more accurate no. to your lore? Oh, hell, I just said I was in Puerto Rico for two weeks. That's true. You don't true. think I got a cell phone? Yeah, never mind. That was stupid of me. Well, listen, make sure to shut and lock the it's door in the on your way out. It's a raven, though. Oh, I see. It's the new yeah, eye raven. Got, like, so every time I press oh, yeah, the buttons, it makes little raven noises. Oh, well, it was great talking to you guys. Sorry to interrupt your show. No, no, thanks. You got to come back soon. I will. All right. Samuel Tarley, ladies and gentlemen. Yo, you guys are too great to me. Well, Zach, <laughs> let's talk more about this Dunkin' Egg story. Wait, 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 wait. I, that, yep, that door. Okay, Mike, he's sitting down. He's rotating in his chair. He's leaning toward the microphone. Mike, hit us with that voice. Every, hey, guys, how you second. doing? Oh, hey, 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 Mike, how's it going? It's nice to have you here. You've been gone. It's great the to whole be time. here. Sorry, I was, uh, I got a text message from, uh, one Samuel Tarley. I didn't know he had a cell phone, actually. This is I. I asked him Apparently the same thing. Apparently, it's shaped like a raven. I, I've just it's shaped out. like a raven. Okay, that's mm -hmm. what he said. I don't know. They, they probably make those these days. Yeah, they can make anything in China. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to interrupt your uh, your discussion here. I know that we're talking about a new sort of series that we're embarking on, but it's part of the one we've already been reading. It's right. True. We were just prehashing. We were talking about how it's kind of an, a more innocent time. Um, but that the, the families are the same. All the people who are, you know, encountered by this dunk character. And it's, it's kind of really exciting because you recognize the names, but you don't necessarily know the people that they belong to. Um, but this kind of time before time, what happened first, a prequel, all that stuff is, is, it makes it kind of appealing and exciting. And for me, the fact that it focuses on just one character as opposed to 15 uh, makes the book, I don't know, a little bit easier to digest as well. And I yeah. think you know, we were talking a little bit about George R. R. Martin, why he would write it um, or something like that. But I feel like as an author, we, we, we do hear authors say sometimes that like the story just wrote itself or it was in his head or as part of writing the present day story, his brain had to figure out kind of what happened before then. And that's why you get things like lineage, right. um, you know, in the, in the appendices and all sorts of other crap. So he already had to work it out. So why not use that, uh, you know, information then and put it into another story? So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really cool that this exists. exists. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, yeah. Because it, it is the mark of a, a brilliant mind really that the writing can sustain this, Timeline. I mean, if you take a look at the ordinary, you know, novel that's out there, it may not span 
uh, a long time period at all. Um, I mean, how many novels ever have sequels even? So the fact that we're we're reading this, what's going to be a seven book series, and that it even has these other like companion books or other little books that are of histories that are even outside of that, just shows how well prepared George R. R. Martin is, um, and again how strong the the realization of his world has been. Yeah, it's uh, I think you touched on it uh, a little bit earlier. I was kind of listening over Sam's shoulder there. The monitor outside. <laughs> in the waiting room, there's a uh, an in studio. You should you should smell the incense we burn out in the waiting room and all of the amazing magazines that we have. I just want to say that good housekeeping is underrated. Go on, Micah. Yeah, it's just the uh, this idea that you can travel back in time, really a hundred years, and still be with the same families that you grow so close with throughout the course of Song of Ice and Fire. And Eric, you pointed out the Laughing Storm, who's Lionel Baratheon. But just the just to see those names, you know, to see Baratheon, to see Lannister, to see Tully, um, you know, Tyrell, Frey, they're all there. And really the focal point as we as we move forward in this story becomes the Targaryens and getting a, a very clear understanding of or maybe not clear but getting a more in-depth look into their their history and uh, you know getting up close and personal with a lot of characters who normally maybe we never would have had the opportunity to so as to why he would write something like this you know it's these are just kind of to me anyway these are fun companion type novels in that you know, you have these two characters, Duncan Egg, who are going around basically, and you know, you're not seeing it from all these different points of view. You're seeing it from one point of view as they're experiencing all these different events and it just from looking at some of the other titles and, and not having read, you know, any further, it seems like we're gonna be encountering a lot of different families that we've gotten to know um in the books that we've read. And to me, that's just an added bonus, and and that's why you write something like that as an author. I mean, I don't know that there's something out on the internet somewhere that says specifically this right. is why George R. R. Martin decided to write this, but it could just be easier for him. You know, he wants to take a break from writing these twelve, fourteen hundred page books, and you know, it just gives him a little bit of freedom to write these two characters with not having the pressure of you know, writing a book like A Storm of Swords or A Feast for Crows. And, you know, it's just it's just more free-flowing in nature. Yeah, it feels that way, too. And it, you were saying earlier how the title is kind of friendly, and I'm thinking it, it is. A Tales of Duncan Egg, you know, the first book that we're reading being The Hedge Knight, which is a small novella. I'm just thinking as I read forward how, you know, this is one perspective, and the way it flows, there's much less care put in some of the, the words that he chooses. And that's fine. Like, it, it, it feels really raw almost in a way what's happening and, and kind of how like the puppeteer talks and the way that her dialect isn't too crazy and, and accented. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of, I, I enjoyed it. It's fun. It's a, it's a nice little uh, of snippet of perspective, this whole thing. Going back to the free flowing nature of it. It's just, it reminded me a lot of the, uh, the hand of the King uh, tournament that we get to experience when Ned is made hand of the King but it's so much more detail and it's so much more spending time with the characters that are actually participating in it. And these are the types of tournaments that you hear about, you know, just in random passing throughout the course of the series. And, you know, to actually be there and to be with Sonic. And I guess if Dunk is Sonic, <laughs> that makes egg tails. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really, um, unique perspective. And I just like the, the fact that, you know, you're, you like it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I like it. It's, it's different. It's just, you don't feel compelled to, you know, rush through it and you don't, you're, it's not necessarily a page turner. And I'm not just saying that because I read it on my computer. <laughs> it was for me. <laughs> it was for you. Um, yeah. But you know, I like, I like the fact it rem- he reminded me a little bit about, of, of Davos because he's from Flea Bottom and yet he's trying to rise <laughs> to this level of prominence not necessarily i mean he wants to be a knight i don't know that davos necessarily wanted to be a knight he was more of a smuggler but yet this character at the same time he's afraid of being perceived as a smuggler or a robber 
Uh, right. He he mentions that a number of times actually, and he just wants to he wants to be no- notable. He wants to be known, and you know he gets himself into a heap big trouble <laughs> at at one point um, in this story, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the week. But it's just um, it's fun, man. I, I like reading this kind of stuff because it's just it's just more you know unique kind of perspective on this world and these characters moving a little bit ahead of forward in the story i'm we're not gonna visit this part tonight i don't think but i'm just the fact that we got to see targaryens ride into a town square is just oh. what the hell right yeah. like that yeah. is yeah he would have never had the chance to do that not that i know what's going to happen in six and seven but <laughs> you know previously we can't have that happen we can't have these amazingly dressed and amazingly blooded uh people right in and just be so <laughs> serene and awesome that just it, it's not happening in the books that we have now so it's cool to see the targaryens get wiped off the face of the earth uh with the exception of daenerys and viserys and so yeah you know you you move a hundred years into do the future <laughs> yes yes they do oh you, i'm just making sure i'm positive okay, okay. you but you move a hundred years into the future and this sort of thing is impossible <laughs> you can't spend a day with a Baylor Targaryen, right, uh, and get get him to sponsor you or vouch for you, you know, and to, to be in this tournament, you can't get that. And 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 I, they really have it. There's a few siblings uh, and a few family members of the Targaryens that are all at this uh, tournament that Dunk ends up going to, and uh, you really see how they were at one point, just like every other family, and they were good people. They really weren't. Well, you know, I bad. think they were. I think they, they were. Bad. Listen, comparatively They're, speaking, Eric. Comparatively There's speaking. good ones and bad ones in every <laughs> Yeah, family, I mean, that's just how a man is. A man is both a fool and a knight, right? Uh, a man is both a fool and Were you hitting on me? I'm not. Listen, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's jump Sam into left already, so the hedge knight, okay? Let's jump right into it. We're doing it, the hedge knight. Hey, Zach, what's a hedge knight? A hedge knight, I don't have an exact definition. I was actually going to look that up so I didn't sound <laughs> completely foolish, but we like to give you the raw representation of what we think on this show. So to me, a hedge knight is a knight who sort of, if you've ever seen, reminds me so much of a knight's tale where we've got this knight going from place to place, making money at tournaments, making friends, making memories, and then going to the next town and leaving it behind him. He's not putting his roots in it anywhere. It's kind of like Lancelot um, in First Night when he's just like, oh, go through the gauntlet. It's completely fine. I'll just do this next thing too. Like I learned how to fight. I have a troubled past. Here I am. That's kind of the... Uh, the same setup here, uh, but it's it's just better. It's in this world. It's in Westeros. It's just better. I will say though that in true George R. R. Martin fashion, the story opens up with a death. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> well, I, I, is there any other way to start a book than and with then a death? in the so. not too distant future makes its way to an inn? Yeah. So I was wondering, is that the? Uh, you know the the inn at the crossroads. Oh gosh, it could be. So, I think it might be. Yeah, you think it's it's lasted for that? I mean, maybe it could. I don't think it is. I, I not because of the timing doesn't work out, but because there are so few people that are running it. Uh, the Inn at the Crossroads is always popular. Maybe a hundred years later, though. But it's a cross. It's a strategic. Like that's the main traffic part of the whole country. So I would think that there would be more people there. Um, this is just a. It's like inn. the Disney of Westeros. <laughs> this is an inn. <laughs> this is an inn that's a day's ride from Ashford, where the tournament is having. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. You did mention. Uh, the death, and that is the death of Sir Arlen, uh, Sir Arlen of Pennytree, who has raised Dunk um, ever since he first found him. But Sir Arlen is the one who is the hedge knight, and Dunk, he kind of has trained in his ways, um, and Dunk has been trained to kind of well enough that he wishes to continue the lifestyle and the exploits of a hedge knight following Sir Arlen's death. And so basically they were on their way to this tournament in Ashford and Arlen takes ill and dies, but Dunk keeps going and he essentially buries uh, the old man is what we see him doing is like his first act. He, he buries the man and um, he, he resolves to fight in this tournament as a hedge knight. But we did, um, I, I asked the question earlier, like what is a hedge knight? I actually found some, uh, uh, direct um, evidence for what a hedge knight is. Uh, it's told, it feels like kind of a riddle, but uh, here's a quote. It says, a hedge knight must hold tight to his pride 
Without it, he was no more than a sellsword. I must earn my place in that company. If I fight well, some lord may take me into his household. I will ride in noble company then and eat free, fresh meat every night in a castle hall and raise my own pavilion at tourneys, but first I must do well. So there isn't that much of a difference between knight, uh, hedge knights and sellswords is the thing. And so it's kind of best to think of them as sellswords, but with honor. <laughs> um <laughs> okay is 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 how i resolved to 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 think of them uh so like Braun, if he weren't so talk backy the thing of it is um and, and this comes into play later dunk was knighted but with no witnesses um there was no septon so any knight can make a knight as it is said later and so this sir arlen did make dunk a knight he's kind of a hedge knight but because nobody witnessed it he has trouble getting into this tournament, and that's kind of a thing. It's a coming of age. It's earning his title as a hedge knight and hopefully becoming a knight for a higher person is really Dunk's goal, I think, at the beginning of this story. Yeah. I mean, I feel like his motivation being 17, 18 years old and having his basically his father, you know, he was a squire to Sir Ireland for so long. And we haven't talked about him much yet because I mean, obviously we're just actually talking about the book right now. But uh, this man has is reappearing so much within this novella as it goes forward in a reference to how he should act in so many different situations. So the weight of this beginning passage where he's digging this hole and he's burying his old master and, you know, taking the bits of his armor that can work for him, it really does to show you the the scale and perspective of just how poor he is and just the kind of lifestyle that these people live. I think that at the end of the day, he really just wants comfort. I think that the notoriety that comes along with doing great deeds is something that he would take absolutely because he's so earnest being at his age. We talked about the dunk side of the story and not the egg side, but there's this boy, this annoying little boy um, who he finds, who dunk finds at this inn that he visits at the beginning before the tournament. And the boy asks to be his squire, to go with him to this tournament. Yeah, I mean, he's a very odd-looking child, first of all. I mean, I know Sam kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, you Sam know, was so observant and perceptive. He really no, added but so I, I do agree with what he was saying, though, that you know, when, I, when I first read about this young character, it, I thought that this was going to be a children of the forest type moment because when we first meet this character... Um, right. He's he's just getting out of of a nearby river or uh, something to that effect. He, you know, he was in water of some kind and he's completely bald. Um, and, you know, he's got a very unique, obvious look to him for being for being that young to be, you know, completely hairless is is a little bit odd. You know what I thought of? I thought of the for the pilot episode of Smallville where Lex Luthor it's like this kid with this bright orange hair. Yeah. But because of the storm that happened that brings Clark Kent, um, his hair is like lost oddly and he becomes bald like for, for all the rest of his life. Um, I thought of that. And so I thought, I thought of an accident having happened and Dunk says the same, you know, he asks Egg, why don't you have any hair? And Egg just kind of doesn't say. Well, he thinks there's something wrong with him, you know, yeah. some some sort of illness or anyway, but you know, he also reminded me a little bit of like a miniature Varus um, <laughs> because, you know, a lot of times <laughs> yeah. he was bald and smart. Right. Well, he also has a hood, a cloak of sorts that he he wears a lot in the story and he like he always has it up over his head and he's got mysteriously um, these red colored eyes and not that Varus has red eyes, but you know what I mean? He's he's a very shifty character at different points until obviously we learn a little bit more about him, and we'll discuss that probably a little bit later on in the week. But I think that um, you know the interaction between these two, you could tell right from the beginning that this kid was going to ultimately follow. You know, you can almost see it as being a, like a movie or or a short film where you know right at the beginning there's that little confrontation between the two of them. Uh, no, you can't come along with me. Oh, I want to come along with you. No, you can't come along with me. And then. You know, inevitably they end up working together later on, and clearly this is going to be a series of short stories um, where these two characters are going to, you know, have that camaraderie for a long time to come. All right, for a little bit of perspective, 
now having the body picked, this is directly from the book, Dunk now owned a chainmail halberd that he had scoured the rust off a thousand times, so that is now his, an iron <laughs> half helm with a broad nasal and a dent on the left temple, that is now his, a sword belt of cracked brown leather, and a long sword, so now he finally has a sword, and a wooden leather scabbard, a dagger, a razor, I assume, which is for his face, uh, and a whetstone. Greaves and a gorget, an eight-foot war lance of turned ash topped by a cruel iron point, which is what I am assuming he fought with before all of this happened, and an oaken shield with a scarred metal rim bearing the sigil of Sir Arlen of Penny Tree, a winged chalice, silver on brown. So basically what's happening here is he has picked the body clean, and now he has a different form of currency. This is what we've always talked about in the story of people doing this. I feel like we've never had this kind of perspective, though, the almost innocent he's gonna get buried anyway you might as well take the stuff perspective right I, I think was it on the way to the wall that the um men had lost a few members and they had to bury them and take their stuff but that was for a completely different reason yeah it was Arya and yorin and they were like it was troubling people when they were doing it it was a right, really right. dangerous time and this is so much less dangerous yeah yeah exactly and i love the little prayer that dunk says or you, you never you never really learned a prayer so he says uh, sorry, but this would just rust in the ground. <laughs> if I don't take this, it would just rust. So he's fulfilling his destiny with the armor of his master. It's kind of very, uh, kind of very Star Wars, ish I guess. Like, uh, your father's lightsaber, you know? Yeah, and he kind takes like it with that. him, and then he uses it. Yeah. Uh, so after his encounter with Egg, just outside of the inn, and this is something I always want to see. I feel like George is very good, and we've always discussed this, but when it comes to what he's eating... And he decides to dine on both of the main dishes that are sautéed and flavored, which I think we should do now with our modern-day cooking. They're using things like cherries to put a glaze on the meat and put the flavor in there. Like, why don't we do that? Why does it have to be, you know, based on complex sugars and things that are manufactured, not grown out of the ground? Eric, it's help me out here. It's, no, it's a crust of herbs, man, or herbs, whatever you would say. It's a crust of herbs. I read that, and I nearly cried. Crusted yeah. herbs. Think herbs. about this. You can't crust get crusted herbs. herbs, Micah. You cannot get crusted herbs unless you pay like 40 bones for a meal. You know what I'm saying? That's true. I mean real yeah. crusted herbs. And he walked in there with the two silver stags that Sir Arlen had left and was able to buy all of this ale, enough ale to get him shit-faced and have the lord that was in there get a little pissed <laughs> off that he was having a good time, uh, to get shit-faced and, and to eat, eat this delicious meal. I just feel like it was consolation after all he went through. He gets these two pieces of silver and – in other stories, we don't really get to see the scale of what their monetary system is like. But still, three coins. It's like the opposite of J Japan, where like 20 million yen equals like $14,000. A Game Boy Advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sir Arlen never let Dunk have all that much money. Um, because he, <laughs> There's this running gag where Dunk is too stupid, I guess, like a doorpost or a fence. No, he's not but, stupid. Uh, nah. Yeah, he just, It'd be Arlen... funny if he bit into that gold coin and it was like chocolate. Yeah, oh God. yeah. That would well, be, he is be biting money. I mean, does he know where that's been? You know, really, it's like <laughs> it's really the same with money Could have anyway. Paid for a few thousand whores or something like that. But yeah, you know, also at the end, I would just say that he he not only runs across the the person who's tending to him, but he also runs across this drunken fool across the room who is use very kind of. Um, I don't. I don't know the right word to drunk. describe him, but what's that? <laughs> drunk. Besides drunk, yeah. Um, yeah, passed out drunk. Right, but he also mentions that he has had this dream. Right, um, he's oh, like, oh, yeah. I, I know you. I've I've had this dream about you, um, and, and then so he immediately says, "Stay away from me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's a little bit odd, uh, you know. And clearly, we know that. Uh, you know, in really in any sort of literature, anytime you hear about, you know, sort of these prophetic dreams, they end up coming back, um, to pay dividends or there's some sort of foreshadowing to things that take place in the future. So I, I don't think it's, um, just by chance that he happens across this individual who is having dreams about him and that that's the end of it. We're never going to hear about it again. I immediately started thinking of the green site. I was just like, all right, well, Dunk has, has a, some kind of, of destined future ahead of him, which I feel like all of our heroes do. But he's so unlikely 
You know what I mean? Just, just it, it's cool to have this perspective. And he feels so much older the way it's written because obviously inside of your head, you know, you're you're 85 years old. You know so many things. You know, yeah. being inside your head, but uh, it's it's really not the case. It's so passive, and I think that George did a really great job of making this person who kind of considers himself dumb actually in reality be very worldly and and understand like what's going on. For example, when the uh, the innkeeper offers him the room. He says no. Like he 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 knows that he's just gonna head up to Ashford and he can just sleep outside. He's saving the money. He's eating the the meal. Uh, and he's going out and getting his horse. And this is where I feel like we really get to see the perspective of Egg, and we really get to see how he's going to mesh with Dunk moving forward. But also, even more so than all, we learn a lot about Dunk himself because he doesn't lash out and get super mad when he walks into the stable and sees the boy wearing all of his clothes that I mentioned and also riding <laughs> on top of his horse. Yeah, that was a bit, uh, well, I don't know. It's just a boy, young boy entertaining himself, right? I, I thought he was going to get a dunk threatens. What is it? A clout in the ear, mm -hmm. um, but never delivers. He has such uh, compassion uh, for the way that he himself was taken in. I think really it's all about the dad, right? It's all about how you were raised. And uh, Sir Arlen clearly... Um, and I think it's said he never gave Dunk a beating unless he deserved it. And so it's with that judgment system and those morals that Dunk agrees to just let this kid go. But he says he's short words with him, obviously. Right. So Dunk rides off. Yeah. You know, I, I think sort of in true George R. R. Martin fashion, you know, we, we come upon this, um, this meadow, uh, and it's just written in such a way that you can really visualize what's going on it says three score pavilions had already risen on the grassy field some were small some large some square some round some of sailcloth some of linen some of silk but all were brightly colored with long banners streaming from their center poles brighter than a field of wild flowers with rich reds and sunny yellows countless shades of green and blue deep blacks and grays and purples and then you know not too long thereafter you start being introduced, as we've talked about several times already, to all the different families um, that are here um, for this event. It goes on to say, The Nightingales belong to Lord Karen of the Marches, as skilled with the high harp as he was with a lance. The crowned stag was for Sir Lionel Baratheon, the Laughing Storm. Dunk picked out the Tarly Huntsman, House Dondarrion's Purple Lightning, which we actually got a really cool backstory so on cool. at one point. Yeah. Um, the Red Apple of the Fossaways, uh, who become important later on. There roared the line of Lannister gold on crimson, and there the dark green sea turtle from SeaWorld, uh, no, of the <laughs> Eastermonts swam across a pale green field. You know, and it goes on and on and on and on. And, you know, you just, you're, you're able to just visualize it so well because you've spent a lot of time with many of these families already, um, you know, in, the the books of a song of ice and fire so he has arrived dunk has made his way he has remained true to his strict money spending ways he hasn't spent any money except for some sausages and for a little bit of beer but what harm does that really do to anyone i think that the the strongest show of his own self-restraint was when he saw the pretty girl from dorne uh puppeting the dragon that he didn't throw her a copper. Now, I think we get a little bit of perspective on just how pretty these girls from Dorn are from this passage. The puppeteer who worked with the dragon was good to watch, too. A tall drink of water. Now, that's where I was talking about the, the, the text was a little loose than normal. You know what I'm saying? A tall drink of water with the olive skin and black hair of Dorn. So even though she's slim as a lance, uh, I guess that it's something he's still after. So in a way, he's, his interest is sparked, but he moves on. It's just, and she's very talented, he notices from the puppet show, the way her fingers move and make the puppets move and stuff while telling his story. And fortunately, there, there's a lot of the puppet girl in this story, at least so far that I've read. And I really like that aspect of it because Dunk is so innocent um, and seeing how he deals with a girl that he clearly likes um, is another good character aspect for him. But he's not to be distracted uh, too much because he, he's in town for a reason. Uh, which is to acquire some armor, something that's going to protect him. Because here he is putting his life on the line. He's he's about to join a tournament, uh, and he's going to have to joust somebody, presumably. He's going to, and, and sometimes it can be, we know, we've seen this before, it can get pretty rowdy. Uh, you need protection. He needs a helm, he needs a breastplate, he needs 
armor that he doesn't currently have uh, from his inventory from Sir Arlen. And in order to get this, uh, he needs to barter a little bit. He has barely any money now. He realizes he's probably going to have to sell one of the horses that he's got. And so he goes looking. And he goes looking. And, and it was interesting, the comparison, because um, the town that this is taking place in, Ashford, has a new like a new sister marketplace town got set up the just city. for yeah the tent city got set up just for this tourney it's much like the olympics you know they'll come <laughs> in and, and 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 build all these new structures that are just for the sporting and later they either Leave the get trash. used or torn down yeah gosh i didn't want to think about like uh beer cans or like any of the <laughs> from Wayne's excess World. that's just left over yeah yeah <laughs> the indians crying exactly exactly <laughs> But uh, anyway, he does find – and there's artisans, there's metal weavers and wool weavers, all sorts of wool weavers. people here. Yeah, yeah. You know, they weave some wool, um, weave wool. off the sheep. Uh, but uh, they'll butcher <laughs> the sheep while the you sheep. watch actually. Yeah, slow blood. Thing right in front of Tastes you. delicious. Oh, gosh. But uh, all there. It's all there. And uh, Dunk actually approaches this, this guy and is able to strike a deal, which I didn't think the guy would go for to begin with because it's like two silvers now and I'll pay you the rest tomorrow. But really, he – I don't know. We get the feeling that Dunk might not be around that long. Like he has to survive his first battle in order to really be able to pay for everything that he's having done. I think this sense of urgency is cool because when you intermingle it with the fact that I think a lot of his motivation for this armor is just that he looks the part out there. Mm, because yeah. he really can't – I mean obviously there are tactical advantages to having – better things and he goes on to explain that a little later in the story but he's looking for a full suit of mail that he can wear that doesn't make him look like he is a guy who just mugged essentially the dead body of his master and is now going in his place <laughs> like i said almost just like what happened in the night in a knight's tale almost just like that except in this case it's not a pretty girl that's helping him out with the armor ideas no i think <laughs> this came before a knight's tale no did it i mean one of the great things about this character though is that in in I I really kind of wondered throughout the course of the story. He's trying to be more than I, than he really is, and it it ties into what you're what you're saying right now. Is we don't know what sort of preparation he's actually had to go in and to you know fight these these battles. You know, we, we he, all he keeps saying over and over again, "I just gotta win one. I just gotta win one. I just gotta win one." But really, how well prepared is he? Like. What is his skill set when he actually gets into battle? Right. What's it going to look like? You know, he 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 does have the physical presence, definitely. But aside from that, does he have the skill base to be able to be doing this? And I think that's something that you always have to keep asking yourself in the back of your mind, like kind of as you progress through the story. And and I know I don't think I ever really fully understood his motivation to be entering this, other than to sort of claim this. His glory. Um, he's trying to get some future. money. Well, yeah. that yeah, I mean, he needs to pay for stuff too. I mean, the the amount of of cash that they're able to win off of just one victory is a lot more than he has. You know, he's able to take the armor, he's able to take the winnings. This is a big deal to him. So for him, one victory, like he's like, fine. If I lose, I'll still be I'll still be ahead. What I already have. Right. He wants a purpose. It's very important to him that he get chosen by a lord and become that lord's knight. I think is really his next step. It's the step that Sir Arlen, bless him, was was probably training him for. The problem, of course, is that Sir Arlen is none too memorable of a knight himself. Uh, and there there may have been one or, or two battles, and we learn that there there is one actually that was fought against the, the Prince of uh, Storms under the Prince of uh, Lannisport, one of those guys. And um, you know, Sir Arlen, though, really his skill set wasn't that great, and so he's no serial Pharrell. Let's be honest. Um, so the fact that he is the one who trained Dunk really makes this question Dunk's skill set even further. Because Sir Arlen, really, when Dunk goes around talking his name, not a whole lot of people have known him or remember him. In fact, uh, you know, Sir Manfred later on getting a little head, but people say, you know, I don't remember him. He really didn't make any difference at all. Um, when Dunk is alleging that he, in fact, no, saved your father's life, something like that. So Sir Arlen didn't distinguish himself. He trains Dunk. How is Dunk supposed to overcome, you know, his inferior training to these guys who have been trained ever since they were children by their high-born mothers and fathers? Well, I'm rooting for Dunk moving forward. I think oh, that he's got a good shot. I think he's strong enough, and he's had to literally survive 
through the elements and through the ability of fighting and through the ability of serving a guy who used to do this exact same thing for a while. So he's got a lot of experience. He may not have a chip on his shoulder like the rest of the guys do, his chip being I need to survive. So I feel like true, strong motivation will win out in the end. But again, this is George R. R. Martin, so it's interesting to see what will happen. All right, so I know this isn't technically a place where we do this because this is the first time we've ever read a story that is <laughs> literature that is not inside of the actual book series, but supplemental. So how do we go on giving the own to this part of the novella that we've read? We still do it. I think it's George makes it easy. There is so much. There's witty dialogue. Um, there are a, a series of cool details about battles that have been won and fought, fought and won previously uh, that I think are cool. Like, I don't know, a guy who loses his helm and still goes on to be champion after breaking like a dozen lances. So there's still enough cool things in this world happening that really you can own them and uh, you can make them owns. It's it really these owns write themselves. Okay. Well, after that monologue, Eric, what would your own be, sir? Oh, well, an example of an own <laughs> writing itself, Lionel Baratheon called the laughing storm. He does himself or he does his future descendants proud I wonder, I mean, he's a storm because he's a force to be reckoned with. That much is clear. But the laughing storm just makes me think of him as a very mirthful, uh, oftentimes probably drunk uh, man. I just think of Robert. I think of Robert, um, Robert's spirit, uh, you know, being in this guy first, you know, and kind of passed down through the ages. He's so, he owns because he owns his lineage. He's, he's so true to the Baratheon that we knew. That really, it just it just has to be more so than a sigil. The sigil is always the stag, but this guy is the proper type of guy to wear the stag, and uh, <laughs> I just like how well he does uh, justice to his future descendant. I like that. That's a good own. Thank you, Micah. What's yours? Um, I you know I really would love to give it to Egg because I thought that the exchange that they had when they first met was really great. <laughs> um, but I'll give it um to the um the lady at the end um when she's talking with Dunk about the tournament and she says knights are built the same as other men and I never knew a joust to change the price of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just that's, like that's this life is tips. all BS. Like you guys are going off, you're fighting in your little tournaments, but at the end of the day, eggs still cost the same. You guys aren't doing anything that's, you know, shifting the economy or you know making things easier for us right yeah that that's funny that's a way of that's a remarkable way of trivializing the whole life or death situation that hundreds and hundreds of men with all of their honor and their swords and their gold leaf uh are are putting upon themselves my own will have to go to sir arlen of penny tree for his lasting wisdom on our hero dunk and this is directly from the book and he's talking about washing it goes, his horses came first. After they had been tended, he stripped and waded into the pool to wash away the dust of travel. A true knight is cleanly as well as godly, the old, ma <laughs> the old man always said, insisting that they wash themselves head to heels every time the moon turned, whether they smelled sour or not. Now that he was a knight, Dunk vowed he would do the same. So maybe that's a dual own to Dunk for his own personal hygiene becoming a priority now that he is now his own knight. And also as well, again, to Sir Ireland for instilling those virtues of cleanliness upon Dunk. Yeah, what does that mean, though? What, yeah. what is every time the moon turns? Is like is that when it goes from like waxing that's to every waning? Month. Or, that's some nasty shit. Like you got to shower <laughs> more than once a month. Yeah. I mean, a, a cycle of a moon lasting, I think it's um, 20 days, maybe. 20, 25 days. It's about a month that uh, they're washing, whether they smelled sour or not, as as it says. So definite own to That's not their... going to get him any puppeteers. <laughs> it might. I don't know. Think about how often she washes. He's nice and rugged, guys. You never know. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a good uh, moment for you guys to say, hey, we want to join the party, too. This may not be something that we're reading, but we here at the show encourage you to read along with us, just like we did the last book of Clash of Kings, and we did a Game of Thrones before that. This is something that you should read with us. Now, please don't get confused with the graphic novel series that was released later in the 2000s. We are getting into the nitty-gritty of the actual novella here, because who needs pictures anyway, right? Just a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper, all right? That's real magic. Yeah, I hate pictures. I hate art. <laughs> yes, and if you want to send us uh, any owns for the Duncan Ed, uh, Dunk and Egg Hedge Ed. Knight, Ed, Duncan Ed, uh, Hedge Knight story, please do so. Uh, first way that you can do that is via Twitter. You can tweet at us. We are at 
Game of Owns on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns. Visit us. We will uh, receive all of your tweets and we will mention them on the forthcoming episodes of our show. The second method is to write on our Facebook wall. Scroll upon our wall. Please. We are located at facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Big surprise there. And uh, we have all of our posts there, um, some funny things, funny memes as well on Instagram, uh, which we share. Instagram uh, username is Game of Owns. And if you want to contact us but you have a lot to say, such as, I don't know, long theories or feelings or stories that you want to tell us, you can always email Love us. Love letters. Letters of indifference. Letter- <laughs> <laughs> Any of that. Just email us, contact at gameofowns.com. Yes, and if you're familiar with our our motherhood of a website, it would be winnerscoming.net. That's uh, where we reside and exist, and a lot of you guys listen to us on. So if you're if you're browsing the website currently, reading uh, some of the electrifying articles, you may see a Game of Owns post there. And if you do, click on that comment section and say nice things to us because we miss you, even though we've never met. It's true. You can also leave us a rate and review on iTunes. We'll read some of those later on in the week, but. Uh, you know, by heading on over there and leaving us your feedback on the show. It's uh, also just a great way for others who may just be finding us or looking to find us. They may not even know they want to find us, but guess what? By their reviews, or sorry, by your reviews, uh, they might just happen to do so, and they can join this larger community that uh, enjoys Game of Thrones so much. So where do we go from here, fellas? I feel like we are finished with part one of The Hedge Knight. Part two is coming soon on a Wednesday near you. Uh, I think the music is playing. What now? What now? Well, we just uh, get our armor ready and hope that uh, a bunch of the good guys get hammered tomorrow in the tournament. Hey, uh, Eric, can you grab me that bucket of sand? My mail's look a little bit rusty. I think uh, it needs a little bit of work. Oh, that's what we have Sam for, though. Are you grabbing the sand? No, no, it's totally Sam's job. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was planning on that being funny and having our name said right past that. <laughs> I think I should have said a barrel of sand. I'm Zach Louie. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Attenabelle. Uh, stay non, stay rust-free. <laughs> yeah, don't get oxidized. This holiday season, dumpy, oxidized. <laughs> Oil yourself up. Side Sam, what is it with you and butts? I think that it would be nice to read I like about big that. Butts. But for, you cannot he lie. lie. No, he I cannot lie. He I, couldn't if he tried. Well, really though, I uh, this <laughs> my is. My brothers in a night watch can't deny. If you're thinking about a generation. <laughs> <laughs>